recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Season three of Recovering with Jennifer Dom Watts. Welcome back, everyone. I am here today joined by my friend, Dan Hines. Welcome, Dan. Hey, it's good to be here. It is really good to have you here. Yeah, it's great. I am the kind of person I've learned as I start to create in the world and I move out of my two energy on the Enneagram and into four energy that I really benefit from having the support of my friends. And I love to collaborate. I love to create together. And so it feels like a gift because I've had these amazing friends that I've gotten to work with lately. And I feel like I'm, I'm in the zone where I work best. And so I say that because part of my work is I really want to be an example of the change I want to see in the world. And one of the changes that I want to see is the ability to collaborate more. I grew mm-hmm. up, especially in a faith tradition where I saw people have to model this kind of false sense of strength. And usually it was a man up there on stage and had to have everything together and he could do it on his own. And even with speakers, it was kind of this dog eat dog world. And uh, I just can't compete with that, Dan. Mm-hmm. That's just not, it doesn't work for me. As soon as that energy comes into the room, I just sort of shrink and I'm like, okay, you guys can fight it out, you know? And so in order for me to be who I am in the world, I've realized that it is, well, in 12-step, they say it's a we program. Like every step starts with we instead of I. And uh, that's ultimately who I am as I'm very relational. And so even with the podcast, you know, we're coming up to season three and it's been a year. And part of why it's been a year, I mean, there's a few reasons and we'll talk about that. But part of why it's been a year is because me just going to my office and setting up the mic and being alone and trying to like mm. talk about stuff mm-hmm. is like really, really hard for me. Like I'll do it because yeah. sometimes I feel like there's a talk I'm very passionate about and I'm like, girl, just do it. <laughs> um, but it just doesn't come naturally to me. So I appreciate you being here. Yeah. And so, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like working independently, collaborating, how do you feel? I had a great conversation with my mentor, friend, teacher, Parker Palmer recently. And what, one of the reflections was that when we're on our own and we're presenting, you know, we're teaching or giving a talk or, or uh, some keynote or something like that. It's, um, you're, full, you're kind of in control of the situation and it's also kind of flowing out of something you've prepared. And even if you're doing it from the heart, it still has a certain element of being able to manage it. But when it's a dialogue, when it's two people together, it's full of surprises and twists and turns you didn't expect. And then you're also trapped, the complexity of reading each other's energy. And so uh, one thing I have noticed over time with Parker is that he's much better, uh, much more effective when I've seen him in a panel or in a dialogue or in a podcast with someone else. So even someone I really respect love listening to him, love love his solo stuff, but really it pales in comparison to when he's in community and when he's allowed to just riff or he's invited to challenge himself in a conversation 
and I think it brings out the best. So even in a really, you know, a really gifted teacher, I think it's true that we're, we're better when we're in community. We're better when we're able to feed off each other's energy, learn, uh, the, the sort of, uh, aspects of myself that I are, have, are, are, I uncover when I'm in a conversation that I can't, I can't get there by myself. I just, there's no way I can reveal that stuff to my, to myself, no matter how much I blather and talk and put on, uh, these, uh, this kind of feeling that I've got to try and get it out and express it. But it's like someone else comes along and then they pull it out of me and I don't have to push it out. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, do you really respect me? That's the only question that I'm stuck (laughs) with. Someone you really respect. I heard that part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, that's why we're here together doing this conversation is because you and I've had these incredible conversations together. And then I talk about them with others. But what excites me about this is that we actually get to share it recorded. And that has, uh, that's a real gift. I think it's a gift. The things that we've been talking about are important, not just to us, but I know they're important to lots of other people. So this, this uh, mutual respect that we share with each other is why this works and why I'm excited about these conversations. Exactly. Me too. I like to say that and I like to tease you because the one thing that I love about being with Dan is that we really value doing our own work. And so even if there's an Mm -hmm. ego issue or something that comes up of like, Oh, what does that mean? Or whatever, you know, kind of a funny thing like that. We can always just say, and it's like, Mm -hmm. usually it isn't like to clear the air. I was going to say to clear the air, but that's usually if some, the frequencies off or it feels uncomfortable with you, I feel like it's actually fun. Like it's kind of playful of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, imagine what I'm noticing of all things. This is sort of sticking with me. You know, is this sticking with you or, or this is how I feel or it reminds me of something. So yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I love doing that with you. So you'll probably hear that as Dan and I talk where there is this real freedom and safety to say, Oh, isn't this interesting? This is what I'm noticing right now. And I think especially the conversation we're going to have today, because we are picking, (laughs) well, I would say you chose, I gave you options and you chose, (laughs) but we are picking the hardest topic in my opinion to start with Mm. of all of the topics we're going to do in this series together. The topic is on faith, Mm. our faith beliefs. And Dan and I have very similar overlapping faith beliefs. And we also have some pretty significant differences. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that freedom just to say, yeah, gosh, you know, I'm really noticing myself feeling like I want to defend something right now. And I know that you're not doing that to me. That's something within me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's tongue in cheek, you know, like just now, like I, I wanted to tease you a little bit, but sometimes it will actually be serious and real and to be able to pause with each other and just honor that part of recovering, in my opinion, is it is recovering who we really are, our authentic selves. But in order to do that, it feels vulnerable. It feels like being exposed and risky. Mm -hmm. And it feels for me like taking my armor off and showing you who I really am And so, of course, my ego is going to kick up a fight. Of Mm -hmm. course, that part of me that tries to self-protect or even dominate will try to have its way. 
And so for me, it's very helpful to be able to name that. So, yeah. And now what do you lovely, think? Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's been going okay. on since I have to stay focused. That's part of why Dan's here. <laughs> it's yeah. not because I just like to collaborate. It's because <laughs> I get sidetracked. Okay. Um, part of what I've been up to in the last year is, well, essentially having a midlife crisis. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just what I would say the actual thing is. I'm just going to put it out there um, in the best way possible. I, I highly recommend it. Um, I get why it's a thing now for people around my age to go through a midlife crisis because there are a lot of dreams and desires that we hold back on for a period of time in order to be a good partner or to be a good parent, or to pay the bills. And then eventually, sometimes that dam bursts, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. But I, so I was having midlife crisis. <laughs> and then part of that created space. So I moved to where I wanted to live. I got out of my house because I was, can I say trapped with my children <laughs> during a pandemic for a very long time? I don't know if trapped is the most meaningful world. Gr- girls, we can process that later if you listen to mom's <laughs> podcast. Um, but I was with my kids for a very long time in the same house. So I needed a change of scenery. I moved somewhere warmer in Canada, which was a real gift. I could be outside, which is very helpful to me. And then I started to make some stuff. And so some of the things that I've been up to, I spent the summer in Los Angeles and I was able to be around really creative friends. And that sense of community was very life-giving for me. And I was working on writing. Writing is still one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. And I feel like, you know, it's going to be a craft that I work on and something that almost requires like a life dedication. I don't know. Does that sound too dramatic? No. Okay. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's one thing I've been working on. Uh, the second thing that I did was actually with you, Dan. So we did the conspire conference. So I started planning it in the summer. Originally I was supposed to do conspire in, I think it was, yeah, March of 2020 was going to be the final conspire. And then it got closed because of the pandemic shut down. And then they decided again uh, to do it, but online. And so that was in September of 2021. And so that was something I've been working on in the last year. It was amazing. Like, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so good. And you were with me for that, which was great. Because again, hey, Jesus sent people out in twos. I never mm-hmm. thought of that as part of my defense. But <laughs> <laughs> um, And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for me, I mean, one of the highlights was just to be at a recovery meeting, recovery meetings, multiple meetings, and, you know, like to up to 100 people at a recovery mm-hmm. meeting. That was super cool. And I feel like people who love Father Richard Rohr's teachings and are also interested in recovery, whether they had identifiable addictions or not, it was super cool to be with, yeah, just that many people that we had things in common together. What were what was one of the highlights for you about Conspire? Yeah, there was a, a whole community. I think because of Richard's book as well, Breathing Underwater, there was a, a, a lot of interest even among people who have never been in a recovery experience, never been in a group before, but who had bumped into 12 steps through Richard's writing. So there was several people who were very excited about the fact that there was this opportunity where 
12 steps and the sort of Christian spirituality and mysticism of the center of fraction and contemplation and being at conspire, all of those things kind of came together for them. And so when they saw it on the calendar, you know, they kept saying they they were just so excited to be there and to be in this group and have this experience together, as well as there were people there who had a lot of history in uh, 12 steps. It was a huge part of their life and their own, their own journey, their own need for recovery and, that was a rich uh, mixing of people with lots of experience and no experience. And like, um, and just to have, uh, the continuity of being there every day to, uh, during the conference was also a gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I love the continuity. I agree with you. I feel like it was really special that there were meetings every day. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of like in the early church, it said that the early church met daily. That was super cool. Um, because I've often wondered, like, what if we did meet every day mm. for like a morning gathering? Mm-hmm. Like if we talked about this stuff in the morning and then went about our day, like how would our day be different? But uh, yeah, I don't know. There's so many things. Anyway, I told you I want to stay on track with this intro and I, I could make this a whole episode. So Conspire is amazing. If you want to join some of the Conspire people that stuck with us, you're always welcome to come to Q Faith Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet on Wednesdays at 10 Pacific and Sundays at 10 Pacific right now. Uh, when this airs, you can always double check the website in case the meetings, yeah, the group conscience can decide to change the times. What else has been going on? Okay, I've been on the Liturgist podcast, so that should be rolling out soon, talking about 12 steps. So that was really cool. My friend, Michael Gunger, and I worked together. Michael and I are friends, and also Peter Rollins and I have been friends a really long time. A lot of people don't know that. And uh, one of the reasons people don't know that, well, one is just because I don't really talk about who my friends are. I like to talk about my own experience, which is very 12-step. But another reason is because we are very, very different in terms of our faith beliefs. And up until now, you know, if you work with somebody, you have to be pretty aligned with them in terms of their belief systems. Otherwise, people question like, oh, do you believe what they believe? And then, et cetera. So it's been very meaningful for me to work with them, even though our belief systems are so different, because we have enough values that are aligned. And there's so many ways in which we are fighting the lie, you know, together. And so, so that's super exciting. So that's coming out. And Dan and I also have differing faith beliefs. So that's going to be what we're going to talk about a little bit more in a minute. I recorded a course with Dr. Stephen Brown, though. So, you know, Steve, and uh, what do you think of Steve? Uh, He's amazing. And I think it's this, his whole understanding of emotions, how we develop, how we heal. I think it's, um, the guy, he's extraordinary, extraordinary person, extraordinary teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like been one of my dreams is to just, I thought if I could just bring Dr. Brownlow's work to people who Mm -hmm. need it, that would be like one of those bucket list type things. And until I created the space in my life and let go of a lot of things that were tying me up that didn't give me the room emotionally, energy-wise to do it, it just never felt possible. And so something about creating the space in the last year gave me the room to do it. And so I went to Mm -hmm. Texas. I happened to be there during like the busiest time because it's like F1 in the United States or something. So it was crazy timing. And which I, he will say, when you decide to do something, whatever it is, the universe will test you Mm. to see if you're serious. 
And he says, it's not because that you need to prove it to the universe. It's to prove it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so now when those challenges come up, like when it was like impossible to find a hotel room to record in and like rooms were like triple the price and like if F1 everywhere, I just felt it was like, no, I'm friggin' serious. Like I want to do this with him. If this is one of the only things I do with him and he's not around to be able to share this, like it'll be so worth it to pass this on to others. So yeah, so that course is done. It's been edited. It is going to be on my website, Twitter, Instagram. So check it out. Pricing structure. So I talked to Dan a little bit about this. So $4.95 for individual use, uh, $9.95 for um, professional use. So if you're going to be making money with the course and it's like a continuing education thing, it makes sense that you'll pay that and you'll make the money back quickly. Individual use, I have learned personally and with my clients, if there isn't a little bit of an ouch factor, you're probably not going to do it. So that's part of the pricing structure is you really have to be committed. If I just wanted to sell a bunch of courses, I would set it at a price that everybody will buy them and then they would just sit on people's hard drive. So for this course, if you want change, if you really want growth and transformation, that's the time to buy it and don't buy it before then. And then for people who can't afford it, I came up with a system where you can do it as a group. And so you can all pitch in together, Hmm. do it as a group. And then your investment isn't money. That's that ouch factor. That's the commitment piece. Uh, Then it is time and energy to pull the people together. And Mm -hmm. then you've made that investment. And so that gives you the ability to stick with it because that's what I really want. I really want people to experience change and healing. And I want to support you to be able to do that. So that's how I set that up. So check that out, Twitter, Instagram, my website, wherever you can find me, it should be around. And if not, just write us and then we'll be able to help you. And then the last thing I did in this time, another really enjoyable aspect of this new phase of my life is I got to lead a retreat with you Mm -hmm. at one of my favorite places on the planet, Kingsfold Retreat Center, just outside of Cochrane, Alberta. And yeah, that was, how would you describe that? I've talked enough. What would you say about the retreat? Yeah, well, I think maybe it was was even more tender and sweet because of the ability to, to to gather again in person and to feel safe to do so, and the twenty or so folks who who came together with us, I, I, to watch people encountering questions they've been holding for sometimes even for decades and never been able to really address. There was a lot of uh, loss in the circle that people were working through. You know, things that were that were just raw and recent, and other people that were still holding, you know, um, a lifetime worth of learning that they had to need, they needed to process. So yeah, I, any kind of experience like that, where we're able to gather people together with an intention to go deeper into our own wisdom. And it was fun too, for you and I to be able to, to use uh, our way of being in that role of a guide and to trust each other and to lean into the, the different, ways in which we bring and challenge a group and and hold the space and offer ourselves and move back and forth and then also kind of co-create because we had some of it you know kind of mapped out and strategized a bit but we basically just kind of flowed with it which is what i prefer to do when i'm guiding an experience so to be able to share that with someone that i really deeply trust and value everything that 
that you, you bring to it. So and that, respect. Yeah, exactly. And re- <laughs> <laughs> it keeps coming back to that. Apparently, that's the theme of this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Uh, so that yeah, and it was it was a it was a magical time. And it's one of my favorite places to be in. You know, in the in the foothills of the Rockies mm. on the Ghost River. There, it's just a it's a beautiful beautiful venue and a beautiful community that hosts us there all, every year. Yes. I just got actually got a message from uh, from them uh, today, just on my email, maybe a few hours ago, that just asked me about uh, what it's going to happen this November with another experience there. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, so great. Yeah. Yeah. And so for anyone listening, um, Dan does more retreats than I do. Mm-hmm. So you can check out his website. You're still at danhines.ca, yeah, right? Yeah, same yeah. One, yeah. And yeah. I mean, this isn't to promo that stuff. No. Honestly, we don't no. really need that. Yeah. But it's just because I love to share really good things with people. And so I just feel like whatever you need, like maybe you do mm-hmm. want to listen to Michael Gunger and I talk about the 12 steps on the Liturgist podcast. Maybe you do want to do a retreat and either that'll be Dan or maybe I will do some more this year. Maybe you are feeling like you don't have at all a sense about your emotions and what's happening for you. And the course could be really beneficial, you know, or maybe all of them, who knows, you know, but basically my life now is about wanting to make shit that helps people. (laughs) I wanted to help people before in my office as a therapist, which I loved or as a pastor leading community, but now I just want to make cool shit. So (laughs) that's where it's at. All right. Okay. So let's make some more stuff. So this episode is about our faith beliefs. I felt an internal resistance to it because... Dan and I, in all of our friendship, have only ever had two fights. (laughs) Dan probably wouldn't call them fights because he doesn't really fight. And I didn't really fight back with him. But it was the only like really uncomfortable where we're like getting on each other's nerves. One of them is because I demand, I could say demand, I demand to use a GPS while I drive. And I, I like to set it and forget it because I get so busy talking that the people always miss the turn. And then the last minute they're like, oh, turn right here because they forget that I don't know where I'm going. And it really stresses me out. And there's some other reasons. I've been in many car accidents, which I would could defend them all. But <laughs> I just like set it and just forget said. it, okay? And so, and uh, Dan really likes to guide someone. He mm. really likes to just help them and tell them, turn here. The GPS seems totally unnecessary, especially in his hometown when we're going to like one of the lakes he's been to a million times. And so, um, yeah. So, <laughs> so that was one of them. Yeah, uh, the yeah. second one was mm. during Conspire, while we were working together over a course of like three days, four days, um, we hung out quite a bit and we ended up talking about faith mm-hmm. and what we believed. And you call it the rub. There was, there was a, there was mm-hmm. a, like a bit of a, like it's iron yeah, sharpens point, iron. For sure. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we thought, you know, gosh, this would be like a really good thing to talk about on the podcast Mm -hmm. because so many people feel similar ways to either you, myself, or differently. But it feels like one of those things, just like when they say like, oh, you know, never talk about politics, like never talk about religion. Like those Mm -hmm. are the two things that are going to cause a fight. Um, I've since learned there's a third thing. Do you know what the third thing is? Probably sex. No, no. <laughs> sex actually goes over pretty good. If I start okay. talking about sex, people are super oh, interested. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but people are pretty vulnerable to talk about sex. Yes. You'll get crickets. Their own experience. Yeah. They'll get, yeah. You'll get crickets yeah. in return, but they'll yeah. be interested. They'll kind of lean in. That's true. The way to piss them off, the third way, 
money. Talk about how they spend uh, their money. Yeah. Ooh, people get very angry. I used to think that LGBTQ was the big thing I could bring up in the church that would make people bad. No, money. You, you just go preach about money. People hate you. Um, but in the meantime, topic number two you never want to talk about is religion. So let's mm. talk about religion. Okay. 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 So what do you think we agree on? And what do you think we disagree on? So it's clear to me over the time we've spent together, we agree on a deep love for Jesus an understanding that in this exquisite life, there was something beautiful that came into being in the world and is transformative just in that relationship with him and in the exposure to not just the gospels and the stories about him in the community, but to the living presence, uh, the guidance, uh, the, the friendship, this intimacy with Jesus as an expression of, of what it means to love, what it means to be alive. And um, so we have that. Uh, we, we have both been exposed to the understanding of the sort of the, the depth, I think, of the Christian tradition, trying to understand and use language like the Holy Spirit and conviction and promptings and the idea that we're 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 responsible and infused with something much larger than just our own life and we participate in a community that is far greater than just ourselves that we could call a church or we could call fellowship or we could call the the cloud of witnesses that surround us i mean so there's this understanding of ourselves participating within a uh, a narrative that centers around this young Galilean rabbi, um, healer, teacher. So we have that in common, I think. That's that's what that's what I would say we we share in. Okay, so yeah. two. So we yeah. have a lot a deep love and respect for Jesus. We can mm-hmm. name Jesus and it doesn't get weird. That's right. We believe in being part of a larger community of like people who gather and follow particular teachings, I don't know that we'd have to say Christian community, but we believe in community mm-hmm. and not being alone on that journey. What else do you think? And when I named it the Holy Spirit, I oh, think right. we, we, we believe that God is, God is not, it's not sort of a, a remote theism. You and I both have a very intimate understanding of God involved in every aspect of, of life itself. And more, I guess, the, of Paul's understanding of God in whom I live and move and have my being. So the ground of being, the it's all it's all divine and all sacred and all sacramental. All of it, the whole experience is, and the, but we can both overtly name that as as God, God. as sacred as and as divine. Yeah. Okay. And, and we're not we're not um, embarrassed or ashamed in any way to use that language, but we understand it. I think in a very very expansive way. Um, whereas sometimes I think in if we, you and I were a certain type of Christian believer, we might have an, an idea of God that is very transcendent, somewhat remote, uh, somewhat uh, out there and separate from us. But we, you and I, we see it very deeply as an, an intimacy of, of God in our lives. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we believe in God and we believe in a Trinity mm-hmm. as God. And we 
believe God is close, not remote. And we also believe in a really loving, gracious mm-hmm. God. It seems like yeah. that's a point of agreement that maybe yeah. might be different than a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters or a lot of other people in general on the planet that fear a really angry, um, judgmental, kind of scary God. Mm-hmm. That being said, we yeah, we also do have some differences in belief about even what a loving God would mean, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating. Any other commonalities that we have that you can think of faith belief or, oh, well, we're both ordained. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I guess I missed that part. I forgot that. How often I conveniently forget right, that both, I'm an ordained both, minister. Both, both clergy and, and, <laughs> and uh, both have taken, you know, vows and made promises in the midst of a process of ordination, understand it as a sacramental grace in our lives and a recognition of a role in the community as a, someone who's been asked to interpret and understand the tradition, explain it to others, um, be, be there as a pastoral presence for others in their lives, um, celebrate at the table with bread and wine, baptize, uh, bury, marry, all these rites of passage that we get a chance to play a role in as clergy. So yeah, so we have that in common as well. Yeah, yeah I, Dan, yeah. you're an Anglican priest. Are mm-hmm. you still like full-fledged? Like you're totally <laughs> registered and everything? Like you didn't like... <laughs> yeah, well, in, in the Anglican understanding of of uh, the sort of... Uh, of ordination as sacrament, you know, it really is indelible. It's a, it's a, it's something my priesthood was recognized in the community as who I am, not just a role that I play in a particular, uh, you know, job that I've been given in the church. So yes, I'm still, but I'm, uh, but I'm still officially, uh, tethered and connected to the cathedral. Like you keep sending in your annual piece of paper or whatever. I, actually, I don't <laughs> I'm have very a, bad at it. So I, I, should, <laughs> I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but actually I don't do any paperwork because I had, I had an arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> but right, actually, I'm, I'm, I feel like I, this is a confession now. I will take your confession. I'm, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> under the the uh, the authority of my bishop, and still have a relationship to the diocese. But my understanding of my role is that I'm kind of released into the world as a worker priest, and that was my. I was actually the, when I was ordained. When I was uh, ordained as a, as a as a priest, I was I was um, the recognition was that. Uh, I probably wouldn't be working for the church as a job. And that's really been true. I really have been freelancing and moving around in the world and doing my ministry. But I see myself as a priest in the world, uh, not just a priest in the church. Yeah. So, Are the things yeah. that you're going to confess today going to get you kicked out of being a priest? <laughs> no. <laughs> just checking. No. Because no, we really want to okay. hear it even more if it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's interesting too. In some some corners, some some places within uh, all denominations, all all expressions in the church, you know, there is uh, some places where there's a lot of diversity, and a lot of people are allowed to hold a lot of different views. And then there's some places where it is actually pretty narrow and and confining. I think for me to be able to to operate. So I've had to be very intentional about where I show up to, right. And have been a place where there is a certain amount of latitude for me to be able to be who I am as well. At the same time, respect and honor the tradition. That is great that they have the space for that. Like, I feel like for me, Mm -hmm. when I felt called to be a pastor, it was really, I don't 
don't even know the word for it. I cried a lot. Mm. It was really alarming. I really doubted that that was God's voice. I was a therapist. I thought that was my vocation. Mm-hmm. I'm quite successful at it, so it felt kind of out of left field. I was excited and hopeful because I felt called to start an LGBTQ-friendly church, mm-hmm. which was not really available in the city I was in. There was another one or two, but I had seen so many people in my practice, not just people from the LGBTQ community, but also people who were straight allies, that that was a huge reason they wanted nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus because of how people were treated by church members that were different and they were they just didn't want to be a part of it. So it was exciting to me that there'd be room and space for people to gather around this teacher that you and I love so much. But it was also kind of horrifying because I was like, am I going to quit my job or what's going to happen? And to be totally honest, I mean, this title of being a pastor or a minister, the reverend, I, I, literally my title is reverend. General. I, I actually had to put it on Twitter just to own it because I have ran from it so long and I've hated it so much. And I have felt this really weird pressure from it that I'm like, just own it. Like just, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's totally okay. Like you can still be you and this is okay. And there's room for you. What would you be called? I'm reverend. What are you? Yeah. Father? No, the reverend. But I, yeah, I get, I get, I get father in some of the parishes for sure. Okay. So you can call us Depends. the father and the reverend. Yeah. That's yeah. the new name in the podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. So I think for me, it was just a wrestling with God. And I suppose that is part of recovering too. It's just, um, mm-hmm. there are these things that will compel us and also repel us at the same mm-hmm. time. And if we're not, kind of afraid of them. I think we're not really on to what is holy. You know, there's something about that. That's right. So yeah. So for, you know, both of us that we have in common as well, but you know what? We could talk about what we have in common all day because we like to get along. (laughs) (laughs) Our inner nine is so happy when we're at peace. Uh, But let's talk about what we totally disagree on. Let's just get right into it. Okay. Okay. So what do you think the biggest one is? The biggest one would be I understand at this point in my life that my relationship to Jesus, my understanding of myself, I see it all within a cultural understanding that I was raised in, brought up in, exposed to. But I see it as, you know, there's 7,000 languages left roughly on the planet. Uh, so religion for me is like language. It's like a culture it's a way of seeing, a way of understanding ourselves, but it, there's no superiority or no way to find a place to make any kind of ultimate value judgments about who's more correct or not, or who's. So when it comes to an understanding, say of of this life, is a place of of a judgment or preparation or evaluation for our life beyond this life. I don't have those beliefs about heaven or hell or that, that my beliefs in this lifetime will make a difference because there is no place where that happens. I think those parts of the Christian tradition and, and definitely there in scripture 
don't have authority for me. They they don't speak to me. They don't, um, I don't take them as something that's literally true. And I understand that I can still be a Christian in this world, but I just see it as one possibility among thousands of different possibilities of what it means to be a compassionate and just person in the world. I'm grateful for my exposure to particularly to Jesus and the gospels because it has been and will always be the way in which I see myself in the world. But I encounter as much wisdom and as much life and as much truth in other traditions. Clearly for me, um, I've learned so much from the Buddhist community and I probably have learned more about practice from the Buddhist community than I have from the Christian community, even though it's been my, my, my mother's milk and the community that I've grown up in. I still valued much more my Buddhist teachers for really introducing me to meditation and contemplative practices and, and um, in some ways, a, 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 a set of beliefs in the noble truths that for me have been more helpful on a practical level than a lot of my Christian teaching has. So, yeah, so like, so I know that that that's one area I can express. Yeah, that we're that we're different, you know, because I I I have to also make a full confession here, Ooh. which is that you know I was raised in a, a conservative fundamentalist evangelical tradition and was a pastor in that tradition. So I did have that very strong sense uh, and clear sense from that community and growing up in that community. And I did door to door evangelism, you know, and my belief was that I was out in the world to, to try to save people from eternal damnation. Uh, I was taught people were depraved and wicked and sinful because of original sin and that Jesus was the only way to God and it was through his death on the cross and then the atonement and and people had to say the sinner's prayer and have this experience, this born again experience and then they would know that they were having this opportunity now to go to heaven. All of that collapsed for me in my 20s and and never really ever was ever able to find my way back into that that faith that was so clear and evident to me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's, I just wanted to make sure I confess to that part of it because it does have a little edge for me as well. And so I have some dear friends who are still very much see themselves as evangelical Christians and very, and have a very clear cut confessional belief like yourself. And, it's part of my own background that I have to sometimes wonder if I'm a little too reactive, like if I'm still trying to work through some of that young adulthood issues for me. So I, I'm aware of that and I'm aware of that it, it has a real, it has a real energy for me still um, on a deep level because when I was going through that phase of doubt and confusion, my spiritual destiny was jeopardized and I was in deep fear during those months of what I was risking. And so there were times I would pray to take away these doubts, to take away these, this tension in me that I couldn't reconcile and these crazy questions that wouldn't go away. And then the ultimate question was, 
did I have enough trust in myself, enough integrity to just believe that I was being led into an understanding that was going to separate me then from my community, but then that would place me in eternal peril if I got this wrong. And so in some ways I solved the problem by moving away from the belief system itself. Right. So that's how I managed to get myself to a place where I could leave the community and leave that, that faith understanding. So, Mm. well, there are a few things coming up for me as I listen to you. One is I appreciate that, especially what you said at the end, because I think that it just feels really honest. I think we all are reacting against certain things and have these live wires in us, triggers, aspects of our childhood. And yeah, I I mean, if we're not seeing that, I'm sure on some level it's getting in the way, even if it means that our beliefs are still very aligned with what's true. There, there are aspects of it still where I think that, you know, we can have those blind spots. And so, yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that takes just trust and and a security within yourself. So I appreciate that. I, I'm going to try to take that uh, as a good example for me too. If there are things I notice coming up in me also, I just appreciate listening to you and getting to know you better. I'm reminded of when we talked about why we wanted to do this. Mm. You know, there was kind of three original reasons. One was to be honest and authentic because a lot of people who have faith beliefs that work in areas publicly will preach one thing and pretend they believe one thing, but they actually believe something else behind closed doors because they don't want to lose their job or their money or their following. So we want to tell the truth. We also want to model for other people that we can disagree about these things that have caused you know horrible things in society, even worse, et cetera, and that we really get along. We're really good friends. The other reason for me that I'm really passionate about becoming more open about what I actually believe is because I'm really passionate as a therapist about what's called informed consent. Mm-hmm. And so to me, if you're listening to me, you have a right to know what my belief system is or worldview because it will influence you. And that as a therapist, we're in a position of power. And so you get to be informed about the process and then you get to choose and then you get to consent. And so I thought, gosh, why isn't there that with a podcast? You know, shouldn't there be an informed consent process where you get a sense of what I actually believe because this could influence you, you know, and then you get to choose if you want to listen or not knowing those things. And so that is a new passion of mine, not just as a therapist, but now as someone who creates. But the last one came from you. And that was where you had said what it means to really listen to each other Mm -hmm. and not to try to prove our position, but just to listen and to get to know one another better. And so that guidance from you earlier gave me the right energy to try to hear you. And so I do feel like I'm getting to know you better and especially even in what you said at the end there. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a lot that you covered in there. A lot came up for me. And uh, to be honest, it's, it's difficult to know where to start. I think what I resonate with is I too was very impacted by unhealthy behaviors in the church. 
I became a Christian officially uh, when I was 19, although my own conversion experience was from about 16 years old until 19. And uh, C.S. Lewis says something, I think it's C.S. Lewis says something about, you know, some people when they're going across the border from England to France are awake when they cross the border. They know exactly when it happened. Other people are sleeping. They just know they're not in England. They're in France now. And so for me, it was kind of more like the sleeping experience. It was like very gradual. And my mom would send me tapes of the church that she was going to. And it was a super cool church where it was like this guy used to be an addict that was preaching and there was like bikers and they'd wear their leathers and they'd like smoke outside. It was in this old curling hall. And I was like, what is this place? So I was willing to listen. And one of the first cassettes she sent me was about sex. And it was actually pretty cool what the guy was saying. So I was like, okay, I'm listening. Um, But the other tape was about the problem of pain. And if God is so good, then why are there so many terrible things in the world? Which is a question that people Mm -hmm. ask repeatedly. And so the way the um, speaker addressed it, who, by the way, is Bart Campolo, who is now a humanist. He doesn't believe any of this stuff anymore. But he really impacted me with his talk about how there could be a good God, but so much evil in the world. And so that was when I was like 16, 17. So at that point, I had my fake ID. I was getting into the bar and then people get drunk. And then when they get drunk, they'd finally want to talk about these meaningful things because their defenses would be down. So I'd start like kind of witnessing in the bar and stuff. But anyway, um, so I did believe in God then, but I really became Christian when I was 19. And during that time, I was exposed to some of the most beautiful aspects of faith. I was awake in a new way, I had purpose. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because purpose was prescribed to me. I really felt intimately involved in what the universe was doing. And I was awakened to that. And I was willing and open to be of service, to say yes to these promptings, which when I fall asleep spiritually, I'm just more numb and I'm not as aware. I had great Christian community. I had Kinonia fellowship. And I was learning things that were incredible. You know, we were doing this book called Experiencing God at the time, which really analyzed how God moves in the Bible, like the themes in the Bible. Mm. And so that was so interesting. And I was having really cool, meaningful conversations, you know, late at night with people. So there's so many good aspects of my faith. I was of service. I actually was inspired to go and live in Chicago, in the inner city, in one of the most dangerous areas of Chicago, I was taught by people who valued social justice and they didn't think that being a Christian just meant that you were like a Republican who was XYZ that, you know, wanted, you know, guns to be available or anything. They were really actually like a lot of them were Democrats. And so I learned about that as a Canadian. And so it was great. And there was a lot of shame, shaming. Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly that I wasn't supposed to really say certain things and that I would be quieted by the shame of the group if I did, like in Bible study. I couldn't be as emotional as I really am. I really had a lot of shaming around sex and sex before marriage. And still to this day, I'm trying to work out Mm -hmm. what of that is real and what of that is people's own twist and take on scripture. I definitely had the fear piece that you were talking about, about not so much about myself going to hell. I just believed because when I started to read Jesus' words and I was 19, I was like, 
this is true. Like I just couldn't shake it. But I was really afraid of other people going to hell and what my responsibility was in that. And so that was a motivating energy. I did do, like you said, you did the door knocking. I didn't do the door knocking, but I actually hmm. did probably worse. It, it still kind of stresses me out to this day. But we would go um, to these really like struggling poor neighborhoods and like do street evangelism, which there'd be speakers and we'd be giving our testimony on microphones, et cetera. But then the kids would come out of where they lived and they're lonely and they don't have anything to do. And I remember the one time, like all these little kids and I was holding their hands and I was like really being them accept Jesus and like say the magical prayer, you know? And it seemed like that's what the street evangelists wanted us to do. Like if you can get someone to say the magical prayer and believe in Jesus, like that's it, man. And I remember the feeling I had when I was leaving and I was leaving those poor kids and I was like, this isn't it, man. Like, this is not it. Like, I didn't just do whatever this thing about Christianity is about. That That's not it. And so I felt, yeah, kind of this guilt and just this awareness of like, Christianity is not about getting people to say the magical prayer and then they're into heaven. And I had people that came alongside of me that taught me, that discipled me, that had fun with me. And we were in community and we were learning this stuff together and having great conversations. And I, I just don't think, while I do think that it can be very, very meaningful for someone to have an experience where they humble themselves before mm-hmm. the God of their understanding and ask for help, or when someone really does believe that Jesus is the son of God and they have that awakening, that is huge. I'm not going to deny the impact of that. I think that that can be a very divine experience, but I think that leading people into this belief that it's just that sort of the ticket into heaven is to say that prayer that just doesn't sit with me anymore. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had aspects of whatever you want to call it, toxic Christianity or, you know, like unhealthy Christianity or what, however you want to say it. I've had that in my life. I think what is different for me that was coming up when you were talking is I don't believe that this is the right way. Like that energy of like, I'm right and other people are wrong. That doesn't fit for me anymore. What it is for me is as much as I want to believe what you and some of my friends believe, like I loved what you had to say and it sounds really beautiful and really equal. And like, I'm just a Christian because I grew up in Christian culture and like other people are a different religion because they grew up in other culture. And like, even if there's other truths that they find in in other places that even aren't religion, that that's all kind of equal. Of course, that's my value because I want equality. What I've experienced with Jesus in terms of, and I can feel it right now, like even myself, just revealing this belief of mine feels vulnerable. But what I've experienced with Jesus in the idea of grace, where you're not earning your way towards anything, there's not a prescribed, like you have to pray five times a day or anything like that. It's just grace. Like you're just in. Like when I think about the two guys beside Jesus on the cross, and, you know, according to people who know about history, they both have done like terrible, terrible things. Like Jesus is innocent and he's on the cross dying, but these other two, like they they should be there essentially is what people have explained. 
And, you know, the one he says, remember me. Like he believes Jesus is who he says he is. He says, remember me. And Jesus says, I'll see you in paradise. And there's something about that. The guy can't do anything. He can't get off the cross. He can't make amends. He can't make up for his life. It's just that genuine, like, I see who you are. And like, don't forget me. And like, okay, you're in. It's just so, that grace is like so impactful to me. So yeah, I think my my genuine hope is that in being more transparent about my beliefs, one, that I can just be myself, that I can just be brave enough to be myself. And as much as I think that I'm Jen sitting here in this body with like bones and flesh and whatever, because I mean, I could be in the matrix, right? It could all be illusion. (laughs) (laughs) But as much as I believe that I'm here and that this is me right now, that's as much as I believe in my bones, that there is something very special about believing Jesus is the son of God. And you know, in his death and that he was raised to life. And I do believe, you know, there's eternal life that that it starts now, but that there's something after we die. It doesn't just all end here. And yeah, like I think about the ideas about heaven and hell, that's a really big conversation and topic we could talk about Mm -hmm. because I often get lumped into people who just believe, okay, then everybody who doesn't believe that is going to hell. No, that's not actually what I believe. I could tell you what I believe, but um, that doesn't fit for me. And then, yeah, I just get lumped in with the people who, are against gay people. I get lumped in with the people who are like pretty narcissistic. <laughs> and like, I mean, I just get lumped in with the assholes. So my hope is that I can be honest. My hope is that I can display another way to be Christian that is potentially somebody who's worked through a lot more psychologically that isn't as damaging as like the trauma you've experienced. And you know, just that there that there would be a place for people who believe what I believe. Because it feels like right now, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't explored every avenue, but of all the popular teachers and speakers out there, if you want to grow psychologically, you also have to ditch some of these like confessional Christianity. Like you can't hold on to it. So you can't have both. You're either a confessional Christian and you're kind of repressed and whatever you've got issues or you grow and then like, well, obviously you're going to let go of those things. And so I feel like it's a blessing to me to get to hold a space, another space for people who really do believe that in their hearts, but they also want to grow. But I also believe that you hold a space Mm -hmm. and I feel like I honor that space. And I think it reminds me of like when Peggy and Tony Campolo, they totally disagreed about like gay, like Tony thought people should be celibate according to what the Bible says. Like not that you could change your sexuality, but he didn't support gay marriage. Peggy believed in supporting same-sex marriage and had a really strong biblical argument for that. But they would do talks together. And somebody asked them one time, you know, how can you do this together? Because you're so, you have such different beliefs. And Peggy said, we're both open to the idea that we could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me is one of the things that I hold is like, I could be wrong. And actually, I kind of hope I am in certain ways because I'm like, what my friends believe is actually pretty awesome. But everything that I read that like, not everything I read that Jesus says, but Jesus talks about hell more than anyone. Like it sounds kind of like there's going to be this ending that is like not going to be great. And like, you know, so again, I, I sort of wrestle with that, how people explain those teachings or explain things away. Yeah. Paul talks about, like, there's a lot of scripture you have mm-hmm. to let go of you do. if you really want to believe what other people believe. And I, I, I just 
don't or my own interpretation as far as I've gone with it, I can't seem to make enough loops around it. And just my own experience. I've seen people who, the beautiful thing that I've seen is I've seen people who are in their 40s, 30s, actually 40s and 50s become Christians in the way that I understand becoming Christian that didn't have the baggage, like that didn't have the bad stuff. And I've seen their lives just like, it's miraculous. Like something really happens more than just like learning from a course. And so, yeah, I just have this hope that maybe if there isn't the yucky stuff attached to it, that people could really have beautiful experiences. And 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 that's it for me. It's not that I'm afraid of people going to hell. It's that I found this incredible gift of grace and this understanding of this teacher of Jesus. And I just want people to get access to it without, you know, having to feel like you have to be yucky to have it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's coming up for you when I say that stuff? Probably a lot, just like when I was, you were sharing. Hey? Sure, sure. Well, I, I think we're both naming a certain amount of holding tension, whether it's like for myself, it's really been the tension between, like I love, I love having a, an identity and a tradition and a community to push against and to, and, but also that holds me accountable. That that holds me in relationship with not like absolute, like the, the whole incredible wide diversity of all human possibilities, but actually it's pretty narrowly defined in a certain spirituality. And, uh, and for me also liturgy and ritual and, you know, we talk about, we're talking about mostly about belief today, but I would say there's also a very practical element of the community gathering a certain way, singing certain songs, using particular language, using particular rituals like the bread and the wine, which is very important to me. The Eucharist is still the place I feel the most connected and to source and alive and full of grace for me like i really see the sacrament as a means of grace so I, there's something magical and mystical that happens to me at communion and i long for it like i long to go to eucharist so i i love having all of that identity my tension holding is that i also um love to be able to be outside of it and see it from the outside sometimes as well and i also don't want to believe that I can't believe that 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 is necessary for uh, for everyone that I encounter, right? So the, I know that some people, when they leave a particular understanding, they have to reject the whole thing in order to survive. And somehow I've been trying to kind of hold a belonging and a connection, but at the same time find a lot of freedom for me to be able to to believe differently than the you know the consensus because what you're 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 believing and describing i would say is the is the strongest largest group within the christian expression for the last 2000 years has been all of what you're describing which is a very clear understanding of jesus being divine uh that his death on the cross was an atonement for sin that he rose from the dead that there is a there are there is an eternal reality uh, that we could call heaven and hell, and just to use the kind of English translation. So that I'm aware of the fact that that is the, and so I there's um 
I don't know if the word, it's not hypocrisy, a disingenuous aspect to holding and being in community, but not really being true to the community as far as being accountable to it. And I'll just name, I'll just name the big rub for me. Yes, please do. Okay, Cause I'm the, sort of missing it. So I need you to help. Yeah, yeah, me. yeah, yeah. So the big, the big rub is that, is there like for, for myself more and more now, there is no larger authority like the, like scripture that informs me then of what is true in the world. And I see the Bible as, you know, as a, you know, mostly poetry and, and mythology. And it is a, you know, it's an expression of people's attempts to try to understand who they are and how they relate to the world and to God. And this encounter with the community with Jesus as well is they're trying to give expression, but they're really telling their own story through Jesus in lots of ways as well. Even the gospel stories, I don't take on sort of that straight value of, actual stories about Jesus. They're stories about the community writing through the character of Jesus about what they're going through and who they are and what they believe. And there's a kernel and a core of an actual person who was so incredibly transformative. They couldn't help but tell these stories about him and, and relive because, because he changed their lives because he, he was someone who was unique when they, he showed up in the world in their, in their lives so where's the rub? I'm still missing the rub. The rub, the rub is that. Just uh, say it. Is that, Just say it. Okay. <laughs> for for most Christians, the Bible is the authority. Yes. And it's script, and they and they submit themselves to not just the Bible, but to the way the Bible's been interpreted in their community. Right. And then they get a set of of you know beliefs that grow out of that, and those govern their lives because they they surrender themselves, they place themselves under the yoke of that tradition and it gives them an identity and it gives them a sense of belonging and it gives them a sense of who they are in the world. And then when that's all there and together, you have this understanding that your own beliefs can have a certain amount of room and, and, and latitude within that, but you're really, you're really limited to that. That that's, there's boundaries and there are, ways you know if you're still sort of in or out based on these core beliefs. And you're right, those core beliefs do change depending on what tradition you're in and how strongly they're held. But there's, there is a center though. There is a, there's a center and it has an edge in main majority of Christian uh, churches and, and communities and, and people. And I don't have that. I just don't, I don't, I don't share that. So the, the live question is, can I even call myself a Christian? really at this stage in my life can i identify myself as someone who is christian when i don't have that submission to the scripture as an authority and the community as defining that and that's that's a fair question it's a fair question yeah and i think for me i would say i have no idea <laughs> And thank God I don't speak on behalf of whoever would answer that question. I do appreciate in 12 step that we're a member because we say we're a member. I really like that aspect of things. And um, mm-hmm. they make the requirements for membership pretty easy. You know, at Q Faith, the only requirement for membership at Q Faith is a desire for spiritual awakening and to respect our values. You don't even have to agree with our values. Yeah. Just don't come in and start telling us it's all BS because that'll really disrupt the meeting. But yeah, I, you know, I think as I listen to you, 
I do feel again, a real, I feel a lot of things come up. I feel first of all, yes, I do believe in the authority, but not the inerrancy of scripture. That is part of my denomination, which I love. There's only four things my denomination believes, and that's one of them. So I don't feel like I fall into the camp of the people that are defending this isn't wrong. And this, because you can prove that there's a line where it says one thing in one part, and one thing in the mm-hmm. other part. And so I love that it, that it has authority. There's something holy about the Bible for me. Again, what is holy for me is what you're strangely compelled and repelled at the same time. I really want to read what this ancient wisdom that keeps getting passed down and like nobody's thrown it in the trash yet. Like it's very like, it's very interesting how humans over a long period of time have treated the, this piece of literature, but also I'm repelled by it. Like I don't want to read my Bible. So there's something weird about that. <laughs> um, so that is interesting to me, but you know, I really also noticed when you were talking before and now this feeling in me that, I really do believe all truth is God's truth wherever we find it. Mm-hmm. And so just because I believe in the authority of the Bible and I feel like there is guidance and wisdom passed down for me over the generations, it doesn't mean that that's it for me. And I really had to accept that when it came to psychology because there was a long time where people had a fear of mm-hmm. psychology, like somehow that would talk yeah. me out of being a Christian And I really had to accept, I mean, I remember even really like not that long ago, like, I don't know, Kylie's probably two or something, like 16 years ago, going to a church where the the speaker was like, we don't need a counselor. The Holy Spirit is called counselor. We don't need a counselor, you know? And so still that horrible teaching goes around, like even psychology can't be trusted. So I believe all truth is God's truth, wherever I find it, in psychology, in Buddhism, in you know Muslim tradition, wherever I can find it. And in fact, often truth found elsewhere teaches me better. Like that's what happened in 12 step is like truth I found in 12 step, which again, I was told to really fear because these people talk about Mm -hmm. higher power and they don't call it God and that you can make a light bulb, your higher power. So that was totally like antichrist, you know, but it turns out that they retaught me my faith. And actually the 12 steps was started by Christians and people don't know that. And it was only six steps and they just wanted to actually live out the teachings of Jesus. And when they they did, they recovered from alcoholism. It was amazing. So yeah, I think that there, I don't have that same fear about teachings outside of the Bible that some might, but what I also came up for me, and this is a genuine question is people, I feel like, you know, this is my own defensiveness being Christian, but I feel like people, especially people who are previously Christian really have it out for the Christians. And so they really have it out and say for the Bible but they're the same people who really value equality and social justice, et cetera. So I have this question of like, would you say to Muslim people, like, I don't believe in the Quran and I don't think that you should have the Quran. And like, you know what I mean? I don't really believe in the authority of the Quran and, you know, I just, you know, or whatever you would say about the Bible, like, would you really just as openly and honestly say that? Do you feel like, or do you feel like there's something about the Bible itself or your history that makes it no. No, I see that sort of clarity of, of a fundamentalist understanding, you know, that that is deeply committed and attached to its one one expression and therefore demands total obedience and loyalty to it. Is it it surfaces in all religions, right? We're seeing it right now in Hindu in India with Hindu nationalism, 
you definitely can see it in um, in the Christian church. We could just tell story after story after yes. story of some yes. of the folks. Yes, how it we, gets we, twisted. That, yeah, yeah, and some and 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 the the kind of judgment and and uh, deep um, antagonism and and hatred that it creates. And Sef- and we can see it in Islam as well. Uh, we see it in places like uh, Myanmar. You can see it in the Buddhist community. So it's it's uh, it's a scourge. It's like it's part of our the way in which structural evil kind of manifests in the world under religious guise, right? So it's that extreme part of it where it's where it's aggressive and violence and and demanding this kind of imperialistic conquering kind of energy too, which we've seen a lot of in the church over the millennia. That's everywhere. So yeah, I don't, for me, it's not exclusively a Christian problem. It's just a a religious issue when we lose the ability to sit down and actually acknowledge that we're different and that we come from a different place. Of course, we're going to have slightly different views on things. Some of those are going to take the form of religious expression we're going to seek authority maybe differently in our lives, depending where we come from. I'm more interested just in how we have that conversation together, especially right now, because everything is getting much more polarized, um, both in politics and religion. It's in North America, it's going to be much more difficult to even have these conversations like we're having today. Yeah. And I think for me, like I, I hear what you're saying. So I agree with you. Mm. I think that first of all, I don't, think it's a bad thing that people have had wisdom passed down over periods of time that they can orient around something about for Mm. you because of its ability to get twisted then your solution is okay then we just don't need that or we don't go to that or we don't value that as like having any authority i think for myself the desire is to untwist it. Like then the desire is kind of like with sex, like sex is such a beautiful gift. It's incredible actually. And some of the most profound experiences of my life and sex gets totally twisted and it's Mm -hmm. crazy and there's trafficking and there's like horrible things that happen, children, porn, whatever. So, but my solution isn't like, let's get rid of sex. My solution is like, how do we find our way to health again and what it was originally designed for and like the gift of it. So I think for me with scripture, it seems like, again, this is only my, I can only speak from my own experience, my own understanding. When Jesus was tempted, what was used to tempt him was scripture. Like that's what it says that, you know, the enemy, the Satan, whatever tempted him with. So it's like this beautiful gift of scripture was twisted and used to tempt Jesus. But then he doesn't come up with anything else. He actually uses scripture the right way to fight back against the lies. So it's kind of like there's money and then there's counterfeit money. (laughs) And then he fights, you know, he fights back with money, the real deal. And so, yeah, there's something about the fact for me that the lie, evil corruption hijacks the truth that I find in scripture that makes me want to get to the real truth all the more. Like, it's like, why is this the one thing that gets so corrupted? Like, cause it's such a beautiful thing. Like why does sex get so corrupted? Cause it's such a beautiful thing. So it's interesting cause we both face the same problem. I think the problem is the way scripture gets misinterpreted and becomes one of the main tactics that is used against people to do harm or to shame or to cause wars, whatever. But your solution seems to be to just let go of it then. Well, see, so here, yeah, so, here, so here it goes. Okay. Here it goes. <laughs> so 
when I when I when I read the Gospels, when I really um, consider and meditate on Jesus, I see him as someone who also asks us to be free ourselves of Christianity just as much as have any other religious expression. There's something about Jesus that is challenging, I think, to any religion, um, including the one in his name, which I don't think actually in the end had a lot to do with him, uh, the way it, the way it manifested in power and in kind of an, uh, right in the heart of empire and became part of empire. And I think there's a very, you know, straightforward, way to see the corruption of, of all of the, what Jesus was trying to do and what the early Jesus movement was trying to do and how it was all co-opted and, and, and a lot of it lost. So I see Jesus as one who is challenging all of that sort of destructive energy that's launched into the world under the ways we try to control and manipulate one another and take advantage and, so I, I see his criticism just as much against my own Christian tradition as I do against other religions. So, um, but at the same time, I don't want to make Jesus into a religion either. Like I, but I'm still in love with him. Like I'm still, still totally motivated by his incredible clarity and, and his description of the kingdom of heaven as being a place, you know, where people are hanging out that shouldn't be hanging out together, you know, and, um, all of these wedding banquet images. And I, I, for me, I just can't shake him. Like I can't, he's the constant r- challenge, I think, to all the ways in which it's so easy to stay locked into um, very ultimately self-destructive ways, which we're, I think we're seeing right now in the world. And we're seeing uh, the whole project now, the whole civilization societal project is hurtling towards a cliff yeah um, and ecological I, loss so now so yeah so i and, and so so for me jesus is just this kind of voice of sanity who's always calling us back and he's not alone he's 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 with so many other voices that also have the same spirit have the same have seen the same incredible mystical vision and are calling us as well so so that on that we 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 agree but i i would say that 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 Jesus actually even even challenges the very the whole idea the whole idea of doctrine the whole idea of beliefs the whole I think I think Jesus for me he just knocks all of that down and and sets it aside and says oh, those are all ways we enslave each other they're all ways that we limit our thinking they're all ways in which we try to control and manipulate and they're they're ultimately about making religion into religion into a retail operation in which someone's going to profit instead of something that's totally free and open. So, yeah. And I mean, the stuff that you're saying again, like it's not so much a rub (laughs) for me. Like I, I really feel like with the Christianity thing, I really, to be totally honest with you. And again, this is vulnerable, but I am more scared sometimes for people who identify as Christian than I am for people in other situations because the people Jesus seemed the most mad at were the religious elite of his day that weren't getting it. So I'm just like, well, nobody ever questions like who would the Pharisees be today? Mm -hmm. Duh. Like, you know, so I really do have concern for people who it's scarier to me 
it seems to think you know the truth and to be on the wrong path than to just not know and to be unsure. Mm -hmm. So that actually is a concern for me too. And I totally agree with you. I mean, I think Jesus would have huge issues with a bunch of people gathering in his name and being Christians and like hating gay people and throwing blood on people at abortion clinics and stuff. I don't think that's very Christ following at all. But yeah, I think that there are like these bigger questions for me in terms of when I follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus as I understand them. And when I really do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that he overturned a lot of the rules and that there's grace and that we're all in, I change how I live changes, Mm -hmm. praying for my enemies like Jesus talks about. And this, even who I hang out with, you know, my... (laughs) I have a boyfriend, which I have not announced in the podcast, but I'm doing it right now. Okay. <laughs> so I finally have a boyfriend, everyone. Oh my gosh. It's a freaking I, miracle. I'm going to text him to see if it's okay for you to say that. <laughs> he shall rename, remain nameless. Uh, um, but yeah, I actually have a boyfriend. That's another thing I was doing during my midlife crisis. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, with him, he he's like, you know, you're so like, I'm it's weird. But I mean, the fact that he's like, he's like, you really are. I don't think he said crazy, but he just, he has this thing about like, what are you up to? Because one of my good friends now is like a girl that I met at the airport in LA who, you know, I just met on the 4th of July. We got stuck at the airport and she, she's a lingerie model and she's Mm -hmm. a curvy lingerie model. And she, you know, really is about body positivity and she has an OnlyFans account, et cetera. And like, I love my friend and I love hanging out with her and going dancing with her. And that's the Jesus that I understand. And not only did I understand that Jesus hung around with people who you would never expect him to hang out with, I used to think it was because Jesus was just so loving and accepting that of course he hung out with a prostitute, of course he hung out with a leper, et cetera. What I've realized, I think through my own experience is they were as much a gift to Jesus right. as Jesus was to them. Because they could get him. They could get him. They could because because they were open. Open. And there's something I about know. people who I need to be around people who are open right. and non-judgmental because there's something when you've been through crap in life, it humbles you and you no longer have that self-righteous, narcissistic thing. Like so it's very I'm able to be myself with my friend and I'm able to go dancing for the yeah. first time in years and just dance however I want to dance and not worry about being judged. And I feel safe to speak my truth and she loves me and accepts me how I am. So again, like how I live out Christianity, I think I would agree with you about those things, but here's the big question. Cause I know we're running out, yep, of, time. We're running out of time. We're running out of time. So here's the big thing. We could always do a part two. And, and we got and we got lots more conversations to lots to, more we to got, have. We, we got a few more in the series we're gonna be talking about. So exactly. we'll come back to this, I'm sure. But what I would say yeah. to the listeners mm-hmm. is if you have more questions, because Dan and I can only talk about what we can talk about, but just like was said at the beginning of this podcast you will pull other things out of us. So I really want you to write in if you're interested in this Mm -hmm. conversation. You can write to Dan, you can write to me, you can write to us on social media. Dan's on Facebook a ton. I'm on Twitter a ton. You can, you know, write my practice. They'll forward me the email, however you got to do it. But I really want to keep having this conversation if this is meaningful to you. And I'm sure, Dan, you're you're in the same boat. But so this will be the, you know, the intro or this will be it. 
But my big question I'm left with, I think this is the real rub. So I don't think it's that we that you think Jesus was against Christianity and I think Jesus would be totally for Christianity. We both think Jesus would think this fucking Christianity we're looking at is stupid. And <laughs> this has nothing to do with it's him. It's pretty much a disaster. <laughs> okay, so we're on the same a glorious, page there. A glorious disaster, but a disaster. Yeah. Okay, so my thing I think is the rub is that I believe Jesus was God coming to earth, born as a baby human, so fully God, fully man, died. This is the introduction of the death of God. Like in no other religion have they talked about the death of God. So this is like a pretty significant thing. So I've been told by philosophers who know a lot about this. But anyway, um, so death of God, big deal. Even if it's been talked about before, still a big deal. Death of God. God resurrects, brought back to life, and that belief in this really is something that matters because you, the listener, Dan, myself, we have free will. So this gift of grace, acceptance, an entry point into another reality is not forced upon you. It's not something that you don't get a choice in. And that somehow believing in this gift of God being with us is an entry point into it. I'm not saying that if people don't believe, they're definitely not in. I'm not saying that. That's a whole nother conversation. That's about hell and what about the other people? All I'm saying is if we do have the chance to believe and accept this gift from God, for me, it feels like true and like good and beautiful and a pathway. And so for you... That, and that's for me, that for me, that's a beautiful option among many options. Okay. That does a, it's essentially a mythic poetic story that has incredible transformative energy when you use it in, in, an, imagine, in an imagination and you enter into it fully. You know, you like lay my burdens down at the cross of Christ and, and feel, you know, as, as the old hymns would say, to feel you know, the cleansing blood of Jesus over me. And I, I think all of this is beautiful. Imaginary. But it's symbolic for you. It's not the real deal. Like it's not really a transactional, like you really believe in this is really an entryway it's into eternal it's, life. It's, it is a, it is transformational. I wouldn't say it's transactional. It's, tra it's transformational in the experience of both the individual and the community that lives them their life out in, in this understanding. Yeah. But does it have like a separate objective reality that actually stands on its own? That is true for like universally sort of true and sitting there. No. Okay. I, I don't, I don't. Cause see that's that the thing is so, that transactional is maybe the wrong yeah. word. And that's why I'm not like yeah. a theologian I'm a therapist. That might not be the right world, but there's the, the thing that I'm capturing is that I think something in a spiritual capacity happens and you also when believe, somebody yeah, that's right and i think believes the, that. the christian belief is also uh, the, the majority of christian belief is that it's also unique like it's it is a once in the universe experience yes a, a, a thing. there's something and it broke, about and it, it broke something open like yes it, uh, yeah and and i would say that that for me is not is not i don't hold to that belief that it that it is like a a cosmic unique events of God come, becoming a human being coming into history. No, I, no. I, that, for me though, those are, that's language. That's, those are stories. It's, it has a power. It communicates something. I think we're trying to say something very beautiful about, you know, like in the Orthodox tradition, I love this idea of the Ascension, 
which we don't get a lot of in Protestantism. But in the, in the Orthodox tradition, they talk a lot about the ascension. It's a deep part of particularly the early fathers of the church. And it was the idea that in, when God, when Jesus ascends to God, he takes human nature into the Godhead. And therefore, there's no more separation between the divine and the human. So we talk about the sacred and the secular. It doesn't exist when you have this mystical understanding of the ascension. So, so the mystical belief is that what maybe uh, uh, we see as separate is not separate at all. And they, they center it in a story, which is the story of the ascension. I, so I love that. I love that the awareness of that now. Is it literally because Jesus ascended to God and took human nature into the Godhead? No, I mean, for me, those are mythic categories. And uh, But I, I love what it's trying to express. I love what it's trying to say to us that everything we experience is sacramental. Everything we experience is grace. You can't separate God from reality. It's all, it is the sacred energies everywhere in, in all of us. And I, so if that's the express, if that's the story that it gets you there, or if that's the place you can hold to it. I mean, we have to land it somewhere in our imagination and we have to also develop language. We have to tell these stories to each other. We have to teach them to kids. We have to learn them together in community. So for me, I, I all of that is beautiful. It's fine. As long as we don't take it to uh, ultimately, because then we close ourselves off maybe for some other really great learning and other communities that are going to be different than ours. So basically, okay. So. so basically to sum it up, this is the real rub. This is the thing to sum it up. Okay. So just tell me if I'm getting this right. So if you're more aligned with what Dan believes or if whatever feels most true for you, everything is equal. Not just every religion is equal. Every, a lot of things out there are equal. All I guess you would call it all truth is equal or all, because uh, you can't say everything is equal. So something about, there's a lot of paths, either in religion, out of religion. And, and, and there's still discernment in the sense that there's, there's uh, let's say something, the things that are life affirming and things that are death dealing. I mean, there's things that are certainly self-destructive and ultimately dead end roads. And there are things that, but you just us, decide for yourself. In in your opinion, you decide for yourself because you couldn't prescribe. Uh, to use dead. Jesus' language, by the fruit you know them, right? So you 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 see the results of that belief and the way it looks. So, example, if you believe that the world is just to be consumed, and that there's just resources out here, and when you extract them, and you rape and pillage the planet, and you take what you want, which is the kind of the the capitalist consumerist worldview you will create a world that becomes uninhabitable. You'll eventually use up everything and pollute it all. So you don't think capitalism so, is equal to everything else, but you think a lot of no, things no, no, are I think, equal. Yeah, I think you can see the end result of that okay. belief system. So, Obviously. Yeah, and if you, and if you have a, an angry God who hates most people in the world and only has a small select few people that he he considers his chosen people, and that's his elite group, and they're the only people that he really loves and the other people he kind of loves, but he kind of hates them because they're because they're evil, and uh, that has consequences. Consequences for you sure. Teach, you teach children that okay. belief, yeah, it has consequences. Okay, yeah. so everything's not equal there. Uh, okay, so we've captured yeah. yours. Okay, right? We've captured yours to the best of our ability. I mean, we could spend a couple more hours redefining it, but that's kind of where you're at, right? Yeah, In terms that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yeah, that's right. For me. Tell me if you think this sounds right, because I don't want to lie. <laughs> For me, I believe that there is something unique about Jesus mm-hmm. that is available to everyone, mm-hmm. not just a particular chosen group, and that I desire to share 
my experience with Jesus of grace, which is total acceptance. You're in. It doesn't matter anything you've ever done. You're totally in. You're accepted. You're welcomed. But you get the choice to either receive that or not. It's not forced on you. Mm-hmm. And that I've had such a positive experience with the Jesus of my understanding that I desire for as many people to have access to that as they can. And that from my own understanding of scripture, although I would not speak as an authority on anything after life, it does seem like there are consequences. It does seem like what the thing that we kind of disagree on is you're like, it's all good. And I'm like, from everything I read, it's not all good, right? And I think a lot of the people that tell me it's all good, we could go through all of the different scripture and be like, okay, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? You know, Jesus talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth or whatever, all these things. You'd have, you know, there'd be a lot of explaining to do basically, which works really good if you don't really think the Bible has authority. That's kind of awesome because you can just chuck it all. But yeah, that's what I believe. So that's why we have a rub because mm-hmm. you know what what I believe has sort of this uniqueness or some people might call it exclusive or there's something different about it. And that can be really bothersome for somebody who believes what you believe because it's like, well, hey, you're excluding all these things of equal value and you're not recognizing and affirming them. And that's like not really aligned with what you value, right? And then for me, I'm like, what you're telling people, I actually believe is not true. And I believe that they're missing out on an opportunity that is actually being given to them. And that if they seriously considered and like just took a read of what I read, not just what I'm telling them, just read the red letters, don't read the whole Bible, just read what Jesus has to say. And then you decide for yourself. I feel like you're like discouraging them away from that. So then of course, we're going to fight about it, right? Um, but what what do you think about the the wrap up? Like you tell me what you're specifically okay, what well, I'm missing. Well, one thing for sure is that I, I think you're, you're misunderstanding something I, that I said as well. That, okay. I mean, you're, that you're saying that when you have the belief that we're, we're always speaking in mythic and poetic and, and cultural constructs all the time, that doesn't mean that everything is equal in the sense that there's no longer any evaluations or there's anything anything that we decide together as a community is worthwhile or not worthwhile. Totally. I, so, heard, I heard you so, saying that for sure. There yeah, is yeah. kind of good so and bad I, or discernment. I, yeah, sometimes when I, in the church, I get pushback against some of my beliefs and they've been a caricature, I think, of someone who's, who believes it doesn't matter what you believe anymore. No. Because I, I think it really does matter what you believe. It, I hear it's that. It's really important. Yeah, I hear that so, for sure. Like yeah, when you were talking yeah. about the discernment thing or about the capitalism thing or about the environment. I mean, I'm, what I'm trying to yeah. say is more equal for you than for me is I think that many of the paths you would consider good, whether it be Hinduism, Buddhism, mm. uh, Muslim, I am on the path of psychology and health, I'm an environmentalist. I feel like you consider those all totally equal and on the same ground. Yeah, and, and I would say out of, they're all coming out of their own our own uh, place where we can certainly understand why that would come to be in that way and why the why they would see the world that way, and and that they're just they're 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 a valid human attempt to try to live a life that's worthwhile and. And but my but it's not based on my values. This is where I also I okay. um, I think you've misunderstood um, my 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 understanding. Um, it's not based on some kind of radical value of equality. It's because I I honestly don't think I have anywhere to stand that I can claim ultimate truth. Like I really just don't have that. I don't have that 
knowledge. Okay. My life is my my experience of this universe is just the tiniest sliver of what is actually really going on. The universe is far more mystery, mysterious and wonderful than I could even begin to imagine what Paul would say more, more than we can ask or imagine, right? I can't fathom it. So I can't can I don't believe it can be condensed into like a book like the Bible or into a set of beliefs. For me, the, all of that, it smacks of pride. Like it smacks of a, of a, of a belief that you can somehow trust it and place your trust there. And I can't because I just see both my own, my own self, the church I was raised in, the belief systems, the Christian religion as a whole. It's just one, it's just one moment in time. It's one opportunity to try to grasp something that nobody really has a handle on. No one has the, and then to claim that it's, it's, this is the one unique moment in history and this is the way it happened. And this is, I, I, for me, I just, I, I can't go there. Just, just out of pure wonder and mystery, not because I, I'm coming loaded in with a sort of values that everyone has to be equal. It's not because of that. I just don't, I can't, I don't know where to stand to make that claim. Yeah. And that so, makes sense. I mean, okay. I still, yeah. again, I still, we both have these like caricatures of our position because exactly. I still, I still it's so helpful to, that we're having this chat where we're actually knocking down these straw men. Yeah. Because, because that what happens a lot of times in this conversation between uh, folks who see themselves inside the community, inside the center with the boundary and people who say, well, there are, there are no centers, there are no boundaries, is that they just make, they make this, it's very easy for me to find examples in the church. Uh, it's very easy to find people who have left Christianity who are angry at their Christian upbringing. And, totally. And so they're, they're doing everything they can to undermine anyone they encounter to knock them down. I, I, I bump into, I mean, one of the main people that I've read in several of his books, he just died recently and he was like that. He always had an ax to grind and I got to the place I couldn't even read his books anymore because he was still, I think trying to work through a teenage faith that he had now in his seventies, he still hadn't reconciled himself to. So yeah, so it's yes. easy, it's easy to find those characters. It's easy. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I yeah. think for me, I still hold to mystery and I still love wonder and I still have absolutely mm. no idea. I mean, I just said to you earlier today, like, Oh my goodness, like we're doing all these really fun things and cool stuff and this is happening and that's happening in our lives. Da, 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 and we're going to blink and we're going to die. And then what the hell happens after <laughs> that? Right? Like I, I mean, I just, exactly. I really am in this awe of what's mm. happening. And, and I, even in terms of the pathways, again, I think that somebody could be Muslim and deeply devoted mm -hmm. and, and show me expressions of faith that are so inspiring. And I believe that they could receive Jesus as I understand Jesus and have mm -hmm. the miracle of that experience as well. So I don't even dismiss the value. I just think for me, there's something unique about Jesus and the belief in Jesus and the grace that comes with that. And even though, yes, I am a sliver of the universe and I'm here for a second and I'm gone, I also stand with a boatload of people. You know what I mean? I stand apart from a boatload of people, but there's also a lot, a lot of people all over the world. Like this isn't just like, oh, everybody in Calgary, Alberta believes this thing and I'm standing with them and who am I? Like, it's like, this has been around for a freaking long time. So to me, it's worth considering. And I think to me, it's worth 
helping others to consider. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's their choice, but I feel like so often this value and this beauty and those words that when I took out that Bible when I was 19 and I started reading them and it was true for me. And like I said, how do I know if anything's true? It's true. How do I know these are bones in my body? How do I know that I'm sitting here in Kelowna, British Columbia? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. anything, but I have to land on something. And what I've landed on with this Jesus is what feels the most true and real for me. And I do receive it like Jesus says, unless you become like little children. And I do kind of receive it with the innocence of Mm -hmm. like, this has been passed down to me. And this is what a lot of other people believe. And like, as I've believed this, my life changed so radically. And it was such an awakening experience that like, I I just want people to have the chance, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. And 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 I, that's... That's the best part I, I've uh, encountered with people of all faiths is when they're really sensing their own integrity. And, and the and, joy, I think, right? Yeah, like when yeah. it's not motivated by and, fear. And, and, we sh- and we should want to share that. We, why wouldn't we? Why would, if, we, if it's life-giving. Yeah. Yeah, we would. And, and we do. So we keep offering it out there. That's why we're doing this podcast. I mean, you and I wouldn't both be here if we weren't evangelical in that way. <laughs> Exactly. Like the, that this conversation is important, that it's important for people who are listening to us right now, who are struggling with their faith, trying to make sense out of all of this chaos around us, that at least they're, they can listen into this conversation and maybe find some hope. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the other yeah. thing I would and say is... And a place is, to land, and a place to land, which I love that Yes. Expression. And I think that's the yeah. other thing for the listeners just listening now, you know... Last thing I want to leave you with, because man, we tried to wrap this a few times, but we're basically dealing with one of the crux of humanity's problems. So it's only been several <laughs> millennia of that conversation. That's all. And we're supposed to wrap it up in a 40 minute podcast. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry we're epically failing, but this is all I about I still don't being know real. if there's a hell in it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that will be I'm still confused. another episode. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> um, but what I was going to say as you listen, and the other thing is, is I encourage you to go back and listen to other episodes. Like this isn't just a one and done, you know, it's worthwhile. You know, you might've gotten distracted. You might be driving, you might be cooking, whatever the, is going on. It's okay to listen again. You know, I would mm-hmm. like to listen to this conversation again and see what else comes up for me, what arises for me in it, because it can be different at different times. But the one thing I really appreciated when I was first at 12 step meetings is they said, when you listen, rather than comparing, see where you can identify. And, you know, one of the biggest takeaways for me today is I can really identify with what bothers you and potentially even breaks your heart Mm -hmm. about the way that people who claim to follow Jesus Mm -hmm. behave and what they've done and the impact on others and the impact on human rights and human hearts etc. So that's what I want to say is I, I really mm-hmm. identify with what you're fighting against and I'm I'm really in support of that value. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Well okay. here we are. We did it. We wrapped. We landed the plane. <laughs> and uh yeah stay Thanks, tuned Jen. for another episode with Dan and I. Yeah. Thank Take you. care. Recovering is about listening. And it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share this on Facebook or Twitter, 
or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Cause we're in this together now.